Bet365 sponsors our podcast and they feature over 300,000 sporting events on their betting app. It's got everything you need to bet on sport. The domestic season returns this weekend with the Community Shield and Bet365 are offering a wide range of markets, including first, last or any time goal scorers. With over 45 million members, it's the world's favourite online betting company. With the Bet365 Bet Builder, you can combine match results, players to score, number of goals and more to create your own personalised bet. And if you can't watch the games live with Bet365's Match Live feature, you can follow every moment through live graphics and text. Bet365 is the world's favourite online sport betting company. The app can be downloaded from Google Play and Apple App Store. Over 18s only, please gamble responsibly. Hello, hello. Thanks for tuning in. This is the Zonal Marking Podcast. It's brought to you by The Athletic. And thank you for joining us this week. I'm Ali Maxwell and Michael Cox and I like to talk tactics and tactical trends or anything else really that takes our fancy from the world of football. How are you today, Michael Cox? I'm very well. Thank you, Ali. Thank you for asking. Now, you've been a busy man on The Athletic site Uh, since the return of the Champions League and the Europa League, writing a lot, especially about the Champions League games, breaking them down with arrows and various other things that aid your your tactical analysis. Um, What have you got planned for the coming weeks? I mean, the season, it feels like it's uh, just a few days away almost with the Community Shield this weekend, but a little bit of time maybe for uh, to to sort of spread your wings a bit, I guess. Yeah, I mean, quite a lot going on on the site. I think the main thing on on the website at the moment is we're doing this countdown of the Premier League's top 60 players, which is into its top 20 now. So I've got a couple more entries on that to come. And of course, looking forward to the new season, both the Premier League European campaigns as well will be getting underway shortly and also the WSL I'm writing a preview of that I think it should be a really good season after the last one was slightly frustratingly curtailed so yeah as always a lot to get stuck into on the website good I'm excited about that your first entry into the 60 was Jamie Carragher and I really enjoyed that piece so I can't wait to see what you are going to come up with next in the top 20 uh, some big names no doubt this is a good time to mention that if you're listening to the pod and you're not a subscriber to The Athletic which means you don't read any of Michael's stuff which seems questionable at best if you're tuning in then at theathletic.co.uk forward slash zonal marking uh, if you visit that you'll get a 30 day free trial which means you can read everything that Michael's writing and all the other excellent writers on The Athletic site. Uh, today, Michael, I want you to introduce our topic and also a special guest as well. Yeah, well, the last one of the season, I thought we'd chat about the Champions League final. We don't usually go in-depth on a particular match, but I think with it being such a, a good one and such an interesting game, I thought it was worthwhile. And today we're joined uh, by Ahmed Walid, who uh, I've been meaning to get on the pod for a while. He had the dubious pleasure of doing a lot of research for my uh, book, basically watching loads of old Serie A games and La Liga games and he's just the best person I know at breaking down a game so uh, yeah happy to be joined by him to explain some of the things that were going on with the Bayern and PSG at the weekend. Thank you very much for joining us Ahmed how are you doing? Hey Ali hey Michael uh, thank you for the introduction and uh, that's flattering of course coming from from you Michael. A, a lot of people will have read one or both of, of Michael's books excellent reads of course as well and, and a good time to read them while football is is uh, on a brief hiatus not a lot of people will realise just how much work goes in behind the scenes from people like 
like myself who maybe did some French <laughs> translations for him. And it sounds, Ahmed, like you pretty much should be taking 50% of the royalties. But um, <laughs> uh, it, it's fascinating to get you on because I know that Michael especially holds you in such high esteem for your tactical analysis. So that's what we're going to do today on the Champions League final. Uh, Bayern Munich, champions of Europe for the sixth time in their history. They won every single game they played in the competition. The first team to do that. They scored 43 goals in total and conceded just eight. On Sunday night, they beat PSG 1-0 and that's what we're here to break down. First question, Michael, to what extent was it a deserved victory for Bayern Munich? Personally, I thought it was a really even game. I was slightly surprised by how many people thought that Bayern were clearly the better team and deserved to win. I thought a nil-nil, it was relatively even, but, but PSG had the better chances. Obviously, that one with Neymar running through in behind that Neuer made a very good save from, the Mbappe chance that he didn't hit properly, and also Di Maria, who, you know, on his right foot is never particularly comfortable and blazed it over. Obviously, the, there was only one goal through Coman. After that, I didn't think either side managed it particularly well, I must say. I thought Bayern were still incredibly open. Even in the last five minutes, they looked prone to getting caught out with the ball in behind. But equally, I didn't think PSG played the right passes and exploited that space. So, yeah, I, I thought it was a good game overall, a very evenly matched game. And I think just one of those matches where whoever scored the first goal had a good chance of, of winning it because there weren't too many clear-cut chances overall. And Ahmed, in previewing this game on the last pod, we, we talked about... Pressing, But when we spoke about the pressing side of things, we were mostly talking about Bayern, their high line and their intense press. But you, in your article about this game, breaking it down, you wrote about PSG's pressing in the opening stages. How did they go about trying to disrupt Bayern's build-up play? So in, uh, in this mini-tournament, I've really been impressed with PSG as a whole from a tactical perspective. But... Uh, in particular with their pressing schemes. So they used an interesting one against uh, Leipzig where Herrera played a dual role like marking Kevin Campbell and Angelino depending on the angles of the passes. So if, if there is an angle into Angelino, like he would take care of Angelino and Neymar could drop uh, onto Kevin Campbell. However, if, if, if there isn't, you could see that uh, Herrera is taking care of Kevin Campbell wh while the front three of Neymar, Di Maria and Mbappe are pressing the centre-backs of uh, Leipzig who, who were building up in a back three. And this could be seen especially in the second goal against Leipzig. And they've used another pressing scheme which is really interesting against Bayern. So basically it was uh, a three versus three in the build-up. Bayern's two centre-backs, Boateng initially and then Nicolas Zule uh, with Alaba and Thiago who was dropping to assist, where and Neymar and Di Maria pressed the two centre-backs while Herrera pressed Thiago. The interesting thing is that uh, Alfonso Davies was free. He seemed free, but he wasn't that free. What was actually happening is that PSG were forcing this pass into Alfonso Davies and Marquinhos was actually ready for the pass. So he wasn't reacting to it, but rather he, he knew that the pass was going to happen because it was forced. So what would happen is that Neymar would, would press and this 3 versus 3 pressing would force it back to Neuer and Neymar would make an angled, angled run preventing the pass into Boateng or Zula, forcing Neuer into two options, either playing in, into Alaba, which is a risky one because De Maria is there or playing it into Alfonso Davies where PSG won't. Once that ball is played and it was played like three or four times in the, 30, in the first 30 minutes, they will all collapse. So either Marquinhos, Herrera and, and De Maria 
or either Carrer, Herrera, and De Maria, while Marquinhos covered for Carrer. I think this this possessed Bayern uh, a lot, and it it denied them of uh, total possession, which they want eventually. Uh, and one of the consequences of that, Michael, the obvious one, was that Bayern had to focus a lot of their play down the sides. Was that a problem, or did they cope well with that? I thought overall they cope well. I mean, as Ahmed said, there was a lot of balls out to the left for Davies, and uh, the thing I focused on, on on my article in the Champions League final was how Bayern kind of played differently with with their wide players. So on the left, it was generally Davies overlapping with Coman coming a little bit inside. Um, and on the other flank, obviously, Joshua Kimmich is uh, uh, kind of central midfielder, right-back hybrid. So he was often moving inside um, to take up a narrower position. And it was uh, Nabry who was providing the width on on the outside. So, yeah, that was really how they how they created chances and how they got the ball into the final third. I didn't think they really played that many penetrative passes. We didn't see Thomas Muller between the lines that much. Didn't see Lewandowski coming towards the play much. Um, but it, yeah, it was really down the wings where I thought Bayern progressed the ball and generally did it quite well. This is a, a bit of a random aside, but you mentioned Kimmich there. Uh, how wrong would I be to suggest that he might be the most remarkable football clone ever of of uh, Philip Lahm? It's a comparison that gets made all the time, obviously. But the fact that it's for the same side, the fact that he's playing a right back, but he's clearly got the, the ability or even more of a natural um, position would be to play in midfield where Lahm probably went the other way, didn't he, towards the end of his career under Guardiola. But, I mean, it's pretty remarkable, isn't it, Michael? Yeah, he's a really good player. I think he had a good game in the in the final, didn't he? Obviously set up the winner. Um, it's interesting to see what will happen with him next year as well because it looks like Thiago will be moving on. Obviously, they've got a very good right-back in Pe- uh, Benjamin Pavard, um, who played there for the majority of the campaign very well. Um, so yeah, it looks like he could be returning to a central midfield role for next season. And adding to your point, Ali, it's not only Kimmich. Like if 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 we've seen like Goretzka was was playing as number ten like previously with Schalke, and now is dropping into midfield. And Alaba, who can play everywhere, used to play left back or left wing or even left midfield for uh, for the Austrian national team. He's now in centre back. It's a bit something like what Guardiola is doing. But in a, in, a, in a different scale, in a different system, like players who are good on the ball, who were playing originally in a forward positions are playing in the positions at the back. Universality, such a crucial part of the modern game, of course. Now, uh, Michael, just one word on a more general point on the game, because uh, the first half was pretty fascinating, I thought. And it was nil-nil at half time, but there had been a number of chances in the first half, probably more so than you'd expect in, in a Champions League final. Two or three very good opportunities for PSG and Lewandowski hitting the post as well for Bayern. The first half of this Champions League final was many things, but it wasn't cagey, was it, Fletch? <laughs> no, I think, yeah, I agree with uh, your point there. I was slightly surprised by the commentary. I thought it was a really good final actually like you say there were a few chances maybe not really clear cut ones um i think the xg at the end of the game was 1.1 1.1 but um yeah i didn't think it was a bad final at all i thought it was evenly matched i thought a pretty high standard and uh yeah it's just pretty much what i want from a final to be honest there is often a misperception that tactical games are cagey but i don't think that's quite often so sometimes tactical games can be actually interesting absolutely that's certainly what we believe on this pod anyway Uh, ahmed uh, we could talk about probably every individual player on the pitch uh, and their performance and their role and responsibility in this game. Um, but I want to ask you about Thiago. Uh, general consensus is that he, he might be moving on from Bayern. General consensus is also 
Spencer that he's one of the most aesthetically pleasing midfield players in, in world football and his performance was very notable on Sunday night. What was it about his performance that you think was so important? Yeah, I think the quick switches of play to the wide areas. So it it's, it's a catalyst to the wing play that Michael just mentioned. What was happening is that Thiago moved, moved the ball quickly by switching plays like what uh, Croatia did against England in the semi-final of the World Cup. It's moving the ball quickly be- before PSG shift their block to the other side. So what we would see is that with, uh, with the Bayern forwards going inside and they are taking some defenders with them, the fullback or, or if Goretzka is moving out wide or uh, Muller is moving out wide like he dropped a, a couple of times as Michael described in his article, you could see them a bit free. And there were, there were some occasions where a, a better ball, not from Thiago, from the receiver, either uh, Nabri or Goretzka earlier in the first half, it would have freed Kimmich and give him, gave him a better opportunity to cross. And as well, if, if you've seen the, the chances that Bayern had, the two Lewandowski chances, the, the, the origin of them is actually a, a cross-field ball, a quick switch of play from Thiago and the goal as well. It feels like quite a, a Guardiola thing as well those quick switches of play and, and players who can make them so accurate as well uh, and Michael of course that the winning goal from Kingsley Coman started with a really excellent pass through the lines from Thiago out to Kimmich and Michael you noticed that the way they built that attack that certainly wasn't a one-off in this game yeah you're right I mean firstly like you say it started without a good ball from Thiago to Kimmich which I think showed both Thiago's passing range and the fact Kimmich was usually coming inside rather than just staying in a traditional right back position but yeah when you go through and look at you know when Bayern got into the final third a lot of the time there was the option of of a winger on the far side for something between a cross and a switch of play. I mean, there was a really good Muller ball after about 22 minutes that uh, just dipped in front of Coman at the far post. Just before half-time, Coman uh, came inside, uh, checked onto his right foot, and rather than crossing into the box, he kind of sent a really long ball over everyone to uh, to Nabry at the far post. And then the goal, we I'm sure we've uh, we've all seen a few replays of that. But I thought the interesting thing about that was two minutes later... There was an almost identical move where uh, Muller got the ball on the right and again sent over a really deep cross for Coman coming in at the far post. And look, we, we never really know whether these things are pre-planned or whether they just happen you know, naturally as the game continues. But certainly for Bayern to put together two almost identical moves within the space of three minutes, one of which produced the goal, suggests that uh, you know that was maybe a weakness in uh, in the PSG side. Yeah, and, and that chance that Michael was talking about, that, that's similar to the goal uh, where, where Coman was on the far side. It, the build-up to this is actually across the field from Thiago to Kimmich. Like earlier in the attack, it was this cross that uh, gave Kimmich a bit of space before Bernat went, uh, Juan Bernat went out. Uh, from the PSG perspective... There's been a lot of talk about Tuchel's substitutions and how they tried to get back into the game. I suppose given the chances they had in the first half, you have to say that his tactical plan to start the game was was fairly good and produced good results and a bit of finishing let him and his team down. But in the second half, having gone one down, one notable decision was to leave Icardi on the bench to bring on Chupa Moting. Uh, with that and, and any other tactical switches he made, do you think he did enough to get back into the game? Yeah, so if, if we're going to analyse the substitutions, we have to like take the order of them because it, I think it affected the substitutions. So the first, the two, the two first substitutions introducing Draxler and Verratti, I 
I think they're they're just for putting legs in midfield because Paredes and Herrera were moving around heavily, especially in the first 30 minutes during the press. And then I think the game suited the front three, which the, which he had. So Neymar, Mbappe and De Maria, the game suited them because it was a frantic game. And uh, as Michael said earlier, it, it was still equal and like Bayern didn't go backwards. The, there were still spaces. I think it suited them more than suiting either De Maria or Chopomoting. So why, why I was saying because the order of the substitutions matter because after that, Juan Bernat got injured and he had to be substituted. And this was the third slot for PSG. If they did this substitution, they couldn't do anything else. So I think the last substitutions, with, which included Kurzweil uh, going in for Bernat and then Chopomoting going in for De Maria, I think the Chopomoting one was more of a, a quick reaction one. It wasn't thought about because this, that's what, that was his last chance to make to introduce a different player because of the third slot. Yeah, that's a really good point. Five subs can be made, but but as you point out, in only three different sort of slots or times, not including um, half time. So that's a really interesting interesting point that you make there. Uh, Michael, before the game, we wondered whether Bayern would continue with what had been an ultra-high defensive line in, in the previous knockout games, uh, you know, faced with Mbappe's pace specifically and, and Neymar's ability to to play through balls to Mbappe. Um, but Flick certainly stuck to his guns. Yeah, he did. I thought it was extraordinary to watch the situation in the final five minutes where obviously Bayern were 1-0 up and you would think trying to kill the game. Um, I'm not sure they did that particularly well without the ball. I think what they did with the ball was was quite clever and just drawing a lot of fouls from PSG and kind of running down the clock. But even in the last five minutes, they nearly got caught three against two at the pack on two occasions. Um, they played incredibly high up the pitch, which I do kind of get. There's, there's no... Uh, it's not mandatory that you have to drop back onto the edge of your own area. But I do think if you're going to play such a high defensive line, maybe you would want your fullbacks in position rather than constantly on the overlap by the side of the midfield. And I, I thought there were a couple of nervous moments for uh, for Bayern at 1-0 up. It wasn't the type of ending to the game I expected. I know last week, Ali, you got annoyed that I uh, put something on Twitter that got a lot of likes. Well, I found four uh, screen grabs of uh, Bayern's defensive shape in the closing stages here. It got 3,000 likes this time, Ali. But more oh. important than that, it got liked by both Jamie Carragher and Breda Hangerland, who oh, wow. both know they're defending in my book. So, uh, yeah, you weren't impressed with the numbers. Maybe you'll be more impressed with the uh, personnel this time. No, that, I, I approve of that one. That was good. That's what, that's what I follow you for. So that's what, <laughs> that's what I like to see. Uh, Ahmed, what did you make of, of Flick's approach and what Michael's talking about, that those situations toward the end of the game where, you know, you, you would have been... <laughs> it wouldn't have been wrong to, to if you just tuned in and you hadn't seen the score to wonder whether Bayern were actually winning or whether they were chasing the game. Yeah, yeah, it, it, it was fronting as Michael said, and and the, there was a chance for Chopomoting at the end. Like he, he could have easily scored it, and it would have been one-one, and w w it would have been a different scenario. Uh, Flick's approach, I think, it's a, a very risky, so it's a risk risk reward approach. So the thing is, like there were lots of talks about the high line, and Michael mentioned it in his piece before the in the preview of the game I think it's really fair I think what's really interesting if we can look on the other hand what is the reward so the, there are a few examples we can we can see in uh, the game against uh, Barcelona and we've seen a bit in this game and actually many Bayern games like Goretzka plays like more of a Muller role he comes from midfield so he's a bit unchecked so w when he's doing that, if the defensive line is way back, so Thiago will be in an island. But if the defensive line is high, like there is some support for uh, Thiago. 
Another thing about the defensive high line is uh, Alaba's ability on the ball in terms of either cross-field passes. He played a really nice one for Nabri, I think, in the 33rd minute. And uh, if if, if it uh, was a bit lower or... Uh, it was a bit slower. Nabri would have caught it and could have probably scored. And also one point that Michael pointed out in the, his analysis for the Bayern Munich Borussia Dortmund game where Alaba could move out and uh, occupy other positions uh, for the left back if the left back is, is vacant. He can, he can only do that if he's high enough in, in the defensive line. So a lot, of, a lot of pros for the defensive line as much as cons. This podcast is brought to you by Manscaped, the expert in men's below-the-belt grooming. Manscaped offers precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. And Manscaped has just launched in the UK. We've gone years without using the right tools for the job, so you can be one of the first men in the country to experience Manscaped's life-changing products. Their third-generation trimmer features a cutting-edge ceramic blade to reduce manscaping accidents, and the water-resistant technology also allows you to groom whilst in the shower. And we've got a special offer right now for all of you listening to this podcast. Get 20% off and free shipping by using the code EPL20, that's EPL20, at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com by using the code EPL20. Happy shaving. And now for a more general question about buying as champions. Uh, their form after Christmas, unbelievable. Since Flick took charge, they've been an absolute juggernaut, both domestically and in European competition. So uh, a nice general question, starting with you, Michael. Where do you think they stand amongst recent Champions League winners? Are they one of the best that we've seen? Yeah, I think they're a really good side. I'd put them probably ahead of any of the Real Madrid sides who won this competition. I never quite understood why <laughs> Real Madrid kept on winning it because I never fancied them going into the semi-finals. Um, I think they're probably roughly on a par with Luis Enrique's Barcelona of 2015. Um, a different type of side, I would say. That was really based around the individuals in the front three, whereas this feels very much like a collective. Um, I must confess, I- I'm still slightly bewildered by quite how incredible their record is in terms of winning games towards the end of this campaign and as you mentioned uh, in the intro I think just winning every Champions League game they've played this season I still think if you played that final again um, there's a good chance the result would be very different Um, I think PSG were, were slightly unlucky in this game and therefore when I'm kind of considering Bayern compared to all the other Champions League winners we've seen in recent years is a not an asterisk because they won the game in fair and square, but it wasn't the kind of convincing performance that I associate with, you know, Barcelona in 2015 or Barcelona in 2011 or something like that. For me, it was a, a pretty tight game here. Surprised not to hear any mention of uh, Chelsea's win in 2012 there. Uh, <laughs> Ahmed, your, your thoughts on that matter? Yeah, I actually think they are like in the top half in the last 10 winners. Uh, I, I disagree with Michael about the Real Madrid size. I think the 2017 side was really incredible when they were playing a diamond with Isco behind. Uh, I think that side was incredible. And But yeah, I get his point. Uh, like, Bri uh, Bayern Munich, if the final was played again, it would have been different. Actually, the semi-final, if it was played again, it would have been different. Uh, Lyon had plenty of chances and they utilized the, the space behind the defensive line excellently in terms of the runs or the passes. So I think they are in the top half of winners in the last 10 years. That would be my judgment. And, and just to check and, and not to further upset Real Madrid fans, but is Barcelona 2011, are we holding that as the, the gold standard, the number one? Yes, 
for me. Yeah, yeah same for me. Yeah, and I, I think people have... I think at the time, pe- some people still prefer the 2009 side because it was a bit more kind of all-star with the front three with, with Henri and Eto'o, but I think as time's gone by, people realise how special the midfield and the attack of that side was and how well it connected. So, yeah, for me, that's still the best side I've ever seen by probably quite a long way. And because they look so strong, I suppose we we think forward now to next season and wonder whether they might be there or thereabouts again. I've no doubt that they'll be Bookie's favourite for the title, I would have thought, depending on the future of Leo Messi and his destination, of course. But uh, they've already made one major move in the, in the transfer market, the addition of Leroy Sane. Uh, Ahmed, what do you think he will add to this team? I've seen some people point out that actually the way that they play down the left side, which is where Sane's pretty much always played, uh, certainly for City, uh, kind of it, it actually encourages the winger to come inside and Davis to go outside. Is that a concern for you? Yeah, as you mentioned, because Sane plays on the left and he provides the width. And we, as we've seen with uh, Pep Guardiola at Manchester City, he rarely played with Benjamin Mendy because Guardiola always wanted one player to provide the width and one to go inside. So the problem here is with Davis. Davis provides the width and Sane as well. So regarding how it will work, I don't know how on the left, but the, it could be that Sani has some sort of evolution. He could go on the right or play in the middle. I know this is a bit over the top, but uh, if you can remember Bale at the start of his career at Southampton and at Tottenham, he was mainly on the left. No one would have thought that un- uh, under AVB he would play in the middle or drift inside from the right or left. So maybe some sort of evolution for Sani. And Michael, the story arc of this Bayern season, I mean, notwithstanding the global pandemic and the weirdness that, that's come with that in footballing terms, but just, you know, Flick taking over from Kovac and the, the club being in a bit of a state and the squad really not enjoying playing under Kovac and, and Flick getting them on side very quickly from a sort of man management perspective and squad management appearing to do a magnificent job uh, and clearly riding that wave all the way to a Champions League win, their first in in seven years or so um it's different in the second season isn't it it's a bit tougher uh, do you think we'll we'll learn a bit more about flick because so far i mean so good yeah i think you're probably right it's sometimes it tends to happen at these kind of big super clubs doesn't it i mean the you know previous Bayern sides they've got to the champions league final i remember 2010 louis van Gaal very nearly got sacked at uh, the end of the Champions League group stage. They just squeezed through and then got to the final. 2013, it was a strange situation because uh, your punks knew that he was on the way out because Pep Guardiola was coming in. So, yeah, for all the kind of uh, long-term planning that you see, particularly at these big German clubs, sometimes events just you know mean that uh, what happens takes an unpredictable course, and that kind of happened this time around. But, yeah, I mean, you look at the squad. I mean, Raphael Honigstein's written a, a very good piece for The Athletic about the future for Bayern and it does look slightly scary for everyone else in Europe I would say because okay you've got a couple of attackers who are getting on like Lewandowski and Müller but you would say they can probably go for another couple of years and you look at the kind of strength and depth I mean they've got the two World Cup winning fullbacks in reserve haven't they you know Mm. based upon their uh, Champions League side I mean Lucas Hernandez and Benjamin Pavard both excellent fullbacks both only 24 so they've got quite a few players of that kind of age range you know Nabry's 25 uh, Kimmich is 25 that make you think, you know, over the next three or four years, this could be, uh, you know, maybe the first time we've seen for a while that Bayern are the club to beat 
over a period of uh, three or four years. And as Michael said, they've got the two uh, World Cup winning uh, fullbacks uh, on the on the bench, and it will be interesting to see. It will be interesting to see if Lucas Hernandez will play because with Sani as an option, he can provide the width that Davis uh, that Davis provides, and that would give Davis a bit of rest. I know he's young, but like rest is important in a cramped season, especially the next season that will be crammed. Uh, I think that there is also a point that uh, should be discussed: is like how will Bayern replace Thiago? because of, if, if, of his importance in terms of controlling the, the play. Yeah, that is a fascinating topic. And at the moment, we don't know where Thiago will end up. Uh, just a last word on this game that we've been discussing, on this final. Uh, Michael, uh, you said that you felt there was a fair amount of working backwards in the general analysis of this game. Uh, will you remember this final as one that really could have gone either way? Yeah, I think so. I think it was a good final. Obviously only separated by one goal. But yeah, I think uh, a 0-0 PSU had the better chances. And I think people tend to kind of, you know, once Bayern were 1-0 were up for the final half hour, I think people tend to get used to the fact that they were winning and then say, OK, yeah, they deserved it. But yeah, 0-0 it was really close. And I think on another day, Neymar would have squeezed that shot under... Uh, Manuel Neuer and we'd be very talking about a very uh, different result and Ahmed how, how will you remember this game a good one for the tactical analyst yeah I second Michael here it was really entertaining and could have gone both ways and from a tactical perspective the first half especially where the game was managed really well by PSG it, it was really interesting from a tactical perspective they're pressing and uh, the balls behind uh, Joshua Kimmich and also Bayern Munich in terms of the wing play that Michael mentioned or how the wing play originated from the quick switches of uh, of the ball from Thiago. A pretty interesting game. A very interesting game, I will go as far as saying. And thank you so much to Ahmed Walid for, for joining us and, and talking us through it. You've set a high bar for future guests when it comes to breaking down individual matches tactically and we're very grateful for your time. Thanks, Ali. And thanks, Michael, for having me on the pod. Really enjoyed it. Well, there you go. Uh, in some ways, that's the last that we will talk about the 2019-2020 season, which has been uh, remarkable in, in so many ways. It's been a pleasure to discuss so many different topics since we launched this Zonal Marking podcast and we're so grateful to all of you who have tuned in for one of them but especially to those of you who've listened to all of them. So many of the ones that we've done since we launched are timeless to use a, a media expression. That doesn't mean they're absolutely incredible bits of content. What that means is you can listen to them at any time and, and they're not specific to the week that we did them. So if you've got a bit of time over the next few weeks, if you want to listen to something that's that's not uh, sort of time specific, then do go back through the feed because we've covered so many uh, different parts of, of world football and tactics and its trends as well. So make sure you're subscribed to the pod. Make sure you're a subscriber of The Athletic if you're not and you'd like to give it a go then theathletic.co.uk forward slash zonal marking that's where you'll get a 30 day free trial feels like a good time uh, to sign up and just have a look through the site read all of Michael's work and also the rest of the magnificent football writers that are part of the athletic stable that's it for today thank you so much for listening please join us again next week on the zonal marking podcast Hi there, I'm David Ornstein and I've launched a brand new show on YouTube, Ask Ornstein, where I answer questions from our athletic subscribers. To get your question answered, simply leave a comment at the bottom of my column every Monday and I'll choose my favourites. To watch the show, head over to the TIFO Podcast YouTube channel and a new episode will be up every Tuesday afternoon. <laughs>